Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello everyone, my name is Ana Maria Kuspa and I'm a PhD student in the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Welcome to a new episode of Stem Cells at Lunch Digested in which we are interviewing Dr. David Wilno, a postdoctorate researcher in Dr. Francesca Spagnoli's group here in our centre. Could you please tell us about yourself a little bit and your research in uh, Dr. Spagnoli's group? Hi, uh, yeah, my name is David uh, Wilnau. I'm uh, originally from Berlin and I started my PhD work in the lab of Dr. Francesca Spagnoli um, back in Berlin. And um, then two years ago, we moved to the Center for Stem Cells and Generative Medicine in London. And um, since then, I finished my PhD and continued as a postdoctoral researcher in her group. I'm working on the embryonic development of liver and pancreas, and this is research related to, to diabetes research, as in diabetes, a specific cell population in the pancreas is, is missing in diabetic patients, and we're trying to understand how these tissues form under normal circumstances in the embryo, and we're using the mouse as a model system for this. That sounds very interesting. I do remember from your research that one of your main interests is in the cell fate decisions between the pancreatic and hepatic lineages. Could you please elaborate more uh, on these aspects of your research and how do you foresee this approach to be used in a cell therapy context in the future? The pancreas is a very interesting developmental organ because it arises from two very distinct regions in the embryo. And one of these parts So they will generate exactly the same tissues and cell types. And one of these parts develops in close um, proximity to the developing liver. And these cells, the hepatic and the pancreatic cells, share a common origin. And we're interested in figuring out what are the mechanisms that allow this common progenitor domain to separate into two distinct organs. And uh, while I'm interested in the developmental aspect of this, how does this segregation occur, there are other people in our lab that are working on the basically opposite question, uh, which is, can we revert this um, decision? So can we take, for example, liver cells, fully developed liver cells, and bring them back to this uh, state that they were in during development, where they were still able to form either liver or pancreas, and then push them basically towards the pancreatic uh, development. And, uh, and this might be interesting for a therapeutic approach called regenerative uh, medicine, where you're trying to recreate a tissue that is lost in the, uh, in the patient. So for example, in the case of, of diabetes, people lack the um, beta cells in the pancreas, which are cells that produce a hormone called insulin, which regulates the blood sugar. And if you do not have this anymore, then you need to inject yourself with insulin in order to regulate it um, manually. But this is, will never be as perfect as your body could do it on its own. So the idea is that we could use a cell, a cell source and from the patient and recreate these cells from that. And the liver is an interesting target for this because it is surgically very easily accessible and can, uh, and can re regenerate itself. So if we remove a piece of the liver and then could the liver would regrow in the patient and we could use these cells in order to bring them back to this common progenitor point 
and then push them towards the pancreatic lineage and possibly cure diabetic patients by giving them a new, new better cells that can produce the insulin um, by itself without the need for injection. And while I think that we are doing uh, this like basic, um, basic research, I think the applications could be very useful in a couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Actually, this leads to the further question which I had, which is um, about this plasticity that happens in the cells. Mm-hmm. I do understand that in your research, you must, must have looked at, at this too. And how, how do you find this phenomenon to happen when you look at mice models versus, for example, what we hypothesize to happen in human models? Is that something that you consider in your research? And how can you explain this plasticity in different developmental organs? Mm. Um, I mean, I, in general, I would I would say that, that this plasticity occurs both in in mice and in humans because they are like we are both um, mammals and and we have very similar developmental the same like it's already been seen that the same pathways so the same signaling signals that induce uh, a development in in the mouse they are also active in humans. This has, for example, been seen. In, in rare uh, patients that have uh, distinct genetic defects where they, they lack a properly formed pancreas, the same genes are involved in this as they are in mouse models that of de- pancreas development. So I think there's, there's a lot of overlap. It is never going to be exactly perfect. For other organs, for example, people have seen that there are differences between mice and humans. However, I think the basic research needs to focus on what is happening in the mouse, and then we can try and see similar things are happening in humans. And for example, so personally, I'm not working on this, but other people in the lab and obviously in our center in general are using human cell lines, for example, uh, different human cell models to um, to test whether these pathways are, are active in a similar way. And I think this is very this is a very good. Yeah, collaboration in, in our center that we have all these different tools to evaluate whether what we learn in the mouse can be transferred to the human. And also these human models allow us to, to reduce animals that are used, obviously. And uh, I think this is it's important that it's tested from both sides. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree that it's perfect that you have the right environment to, you know, be able to use both and to extrapolate the findings and slowly try and move uh, towards the human models, but also apply all the knowledge that you've already gathered from the mice model and all the research you've done so far. That sounds very, very cool. Uh, What I wanted to ask you about is this new great project which you are part of called the Fat Open Pan 3DP project. Uh, Mm -hmm. As I understand, this is a great initiative that aims to bring together a multidisciplinary team in order to join efforts to develop uh, bioprinting strategies for generating pancreatic tissue. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the project so far and what are your aims for the future uh, as part of, of this great initiative? So, yeah, as, as you've already described, this is a, a interdisciplinary approach and there's many different labs from all over Europe and in Israel involved in this. And the basic idea is that we, we start from mouse development and this is where, where my contribution was mainly. So, so we, we look at the different developmental stages of mouse pancreas development and using advanced imaging techniques. So very high resolution microscopy. And we try to, to get very nice images and models of the pancreas, the 
the tissue architecture or the morphology, how, how this tissue looks in, in the mouse during development. And by using this as a template, working with a bioprinting company that can generate basically 3D architecture computer files from our data that we gathered in, in, from mouse embryos. And then we're trying to, to figure out what are the architectural units within this tissue and how does this change over time. And then using these very cool bioprinting approaches, people are able to bioprint specific materials that resemble actual material, a matrix in which uh, during mouse or human development cells would reside. And then on top of that, also print individual cells in this. And then we're hoping that they will reorganize by themselves in a 3D architecture resembling that of the pancreas during mouse development, and then see if by adding specific signals or specific hormones, whether we can make these cells continue to develop and form specific cell types that we're interested in. For example, these insulin-producing beta cells. And an interesting approach in this is that we're working with people that are involved in the, the pancreatic in the pancreatic that know about the pancreatic cell types, but that also know about cell type blood vessels that uh, obviously need to be there in order that the tissue develops properly, but also that it can send signals later on, for example, send the blood sugar. And uh, furthermore, people that are interested in a cell type called mesenchymal cells. So these are basically the cells that they form the connective tissue. They're everywhere around and give structure to the the organ in itself. And there's all these different people in this program that know about these different cell types. And we're trying to basically what one cell type in itself cannot do by combining all of them, we hope that they make an environment in which these cells develop properly. And on top of that, I think this could be a very a good way to, because um, we're using only cell lines, to, to develop a model system in which we could experimentally test certain things, certain uh, medication without the need for, for animals to be involved in this. And later on, so we're trying this now with mouse cell lines, but in the future we would like to do this also with human cell lines so that we would have a human model on top of it. But yeah, so I think the, the project is very promising. Yeah, it sounds like a very complex project, which needs such a you know big team with different perspectives on it in order to make it work. But it sounds really exciting. So good luck with it. Um, so well, I wanted to ask you, uh, in terms of you know you being so so involved in this um, in this research and also being able to think of the clinical applications, what do you think are the main challenges that we are still facing before we can move you know forward to something more feasible and um, uh, realistic to to a possible clinical application in the future, in the near future? Mm. I mean, apart from the, the, I think there's still a lot of debate over which is the cell source that should be used to try to generate these um, better cells again. And um, I mean, there's, there's many different groups working with different hypotheses, and there's already, like in the US, there's some very advanced companies and research groups that are already doing some clinical trials. I think this is a question, which cell type can be used and which is the safest to, to use. And on top of that, one big question is obviously, how do we implant these cells in the patient? So for example, in the case of type 1, diabetes is usually occurs in two types. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease where your immune system destroys the beta cells, tar target the destruction of the beta cells. 
And the question there is if we implant new beta cells that we generated from another cellular source, they might also be targeted by the immune system. So there's a lot of discussion about how can we and what kind of environment can we put these cells that they are not targeted and immediately destroyed again. And, uh, and there, for example, there's already people working on similar things. So because one treatment for diabetes right now is also the use of eyelid transplantation. So you take these cells from from deceased people that donated their, their organs and the cells can be implanted into diabetic patients and then for a couple of years they are cured, but over time this will degrade again. So there's also people on that already fig- trying to figure out what's the best way to protect these cells. Yeah, and then in the case of type 2 diabetes, it's, it's a very complex disease where there's not no one cause of the disease. So it, I think it's, it's important that we also try to figure out how can we protect once we've established a, a good clinical stage for these people, for the patients, uh, how can we maintain the state without reverting back again. So there's a multitude of, of, of things involved, but I'm obviously not a a medical doctor, so uh, my yeah. knowledge might be limited on it. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. It was really great to hear your insight about all these novel ways to, to look at regenerative purposes for pancreatic tissue. Um, this has been Stem Cells at Lunch Digested for you, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.